You are listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. Welcome, welcome. We are really, really glad to see you here today at Queen City Church. My name is Andy Squires. For those of you who don't know me, I work for the senior pastor, uh, Robin McMillan. Uh, Robin and Donna have been on sabbatical for the last five weeks, and I believe they have uh, two more weeks left on their sabbatical. So please do keep them in your prayers. Um, getting rest is a lot of work. And, um, you know, especially if you've worked for 45 years and never taken a break, it takes a little time to figure out how to rest. So we're very, very grateful um, for this time away for them. We really believe that the Lord is uh, our, our hope. Our prayer is that um, it's been a time of refreshing for them and re-energizing for Robin and Donna, because we believe that the Lord has tremendous plans for them. Amen. And um, so uh, uh, in, in, the, in the time that they've been away, uh, we've been, um, I don't know, uh, Amy and myself and Chris and Brandy, uh, well, at some point, um, Robin said to us, kids, I- I'm going, you get to drive the car for a while. Good luck. And uh, so we just began to dream a little bit and uh, maybe just tweak a few things here and there. But one of the things that we've been doing is that we've been gathering uh, at 10 o'clock in the back room over there with all of our, our, all of our uh, volunteers. So folks on the hospitality team, folks in kids ministry, uh, ushers, people on the worship team. We've just gathered together. And, and the reason why we've done that is two, twofold. We've wanted to express to our volunteers. We want to tell people who are serving in the church about the things that we love as, as a church, about the things that we care about. And then also just to pray because we've, we are in, are in a season right now of regaining strength. This is, this is a word that the Lord has actually given, uh, Amy and I in this season. My wife, Amy's sitting right here. We've been, I, I mentioned this last week. We've been really praying a lot about this season. And one of the words that we feel like the Lord has expressed to us is that you're in a season of regaining strength. And what that means is that if you're regaining strength, you're not quite at full strength yet, right? And sometimes if you're in the season of regaining strength, you'll judge yourself by the season when you should have full strength, when you'd be judging yourself wrong. So it's really good to know where you're at in your life, right? And I would say this, talking to a lot of folks uh, in the ministry world and in, in other vocational worlds, right now, pretty much in some way or another, everybody is hurting. Like, we, I have talked to so many people who the last couple of years has taken a toll on them that has this, there's been this accumulating effect of everything that's gone on on a national level and for many people on personal levels to where they don't know up from down anymore. And it's, it's really important that we are kind of aware of that because Because being aware that everybody has in some way or another 
just gone through kind of the toughest times that our nation has seen in a really long time, it allows us to be more tender towards people. It allows us to have more grace towards people when they're acting the fool, right? Because Lord knows I've acted the fool and I've needed somebody not to nuke me in that moment. I've just needed somebody to uh, say, oh, that's just Andy behaving badly. That's not who he really is, right? So it's important to be able to properly assess the moment that you're living in, all right? So the word this morning, it's part four of a series that we've, we've been in called Shelter from the Storm. And this particular, it's my final one in this series. It's called The Church as Shelter. And I, I heard a guy say this last week. I thought it was the best line I've ever heard. And Shelly was doing it earlier. You know, when a preacher gets going and they're really saying something really good. I heard this guy preaching. He goes, I'm not preaching. I'm telling the truth. So a lot of, lot of preachers, they, we, we lean on hyperbole a lot to get points across. And then sometimes we just rely on telling the truth. My hope today is that you walk away from this morning with uh, a renewed vision for what it means to be a part of the church of Jesus Christ, the larger body of Christ, and then a renewed vision of what it means for you to be a part of a local body of Christ. Because what's going on within culture right now is that, well, people are wearing down. And and truth be told, there's a lot of really ugly things that are that are being exposed in the church world. Within the church world, there's a major case and legitimately so being made against the church because there's a lot of really bad things going on in the church. And when that stuff is disclosed, guess what we have to do as a body? We have to repent, y'all. We have to repent of sin. When sin gets exposed, it's not for the sake of destroying people. It's for the sake of repentance and hopefully to the eventual healing. You know, God wants nothing more than you and I to be healed. When we were in worship today, there was such an anointing of the presence of the Lord that was going on. And I just, this is what happens when the anointing rises, all the prophets in the room want the microphone. They do. They're like, oh my God, God's saying something. I got to go get that microphone and start talking to people and telling them what God is saying. But you know, I'm wise and old now. So I know to resist those urges and just let the worship leaders lead worship, right? But what I wanted to get on the microphone and say is you don't have to be ashamed to the degree that you count yourself out of the goodness of God. Now, you may be ashamed. You may have done some things that are worthy of being ashamed of, but that is not who you are. And it's not where God wants you to live the rest of your life. And he actually has a cure for you. And he actually wants to accelerate you out of shame and into his glorious light. Now, knowing that, maybe you're seated in the middle of, of two scoundrels. You got a scoundrel on your left and you got a scoundrel on your right. And you might know that your neighbor is into some really bad stuff. But the thing is this, that is not who they are and it's not where God wants them to live. And he's not depending on you to condescend and judge that person. But he's really 
getting you ready to love that person because love always precedes healing. The spirit of God is calling the church to stop exacting control, to start exact, stop exacting influence, stop exacting things like um, managing what everybody's thinking all of the time. And instead, he's drawing us into learning how to depend on his love. The Apostle Paul says this in, in 1 Corinthians 13, love endures all things. You think your neighbor is into something that is impossible, but love endures that thing. You have questions about the people in your life that are doing bad things that you disagree with. Guess what? Love endures all things. You can't handle that thing, but God can. Shelly said it this morning. You got some, you got a case to make against God. Bring it. He can handle it. It actually might take you being honest for a minute about the way you actually feel about God so that he can reveal himself to you in an actual way. In a way that he really is. A lot of us are hiding behind religious masks. And we're not actually doing business with the Lord any longer. So I'm saying all this. Because we're in a season of regaining strength. And we're in a season where the spirit of the Lord is drawing us back into a life of prayer. My prayer life has waned. Over the last eight years I'll tell you this. I have not given myself to prayer the way I should. I I, I actually I believe this. I I believe that a person's actions tell you more about what they believe than what they say they believe. What somebody does is the greatest manifestation of what they believe. If you have a life that's prayerless, it's actually because you don't believe that prayer is anything at all. You can theoretically believe in prayer. It's possible to theoretically and mentally assent to an idea and not have any of that reality in your life at all. But, We don't have to be hopeless about that. You don't have to become an expert at prayer to pray. You know, somebody asked Mother Teresa about her prayer life. And she goes, oh, I pray all the time. They said, oh, you pray, Mother Teresa? How, what, what do you say to God? And she said, oh, oh, I don't say anything to him. I listen to him. You listen to God? Yes, this is my prayer life. I I stop what I'm doing and I listen to God. What does God say to you, Mother Teresa? Oh, he doesn't say anything. He listens to me. We just, we just get together and we listen to each other and not say anything. You know, Americans, Western people are very afraid of silence. We walk into the house. We're by ourselves. What's the first thing we do? We turn on the TV so there's no silence. We grab our iPhones so we don't have to deal with silence. Maybe becoming friends with silence is our entryway into learning how to pray. Maybe that's the beginning space for us. Maybe that's the way we're going to resist the speed of the world is that we're going to stop long enough and quiet ourselves long enough to sit in silence and listen to the father listening to us. I like Mother Teresa's version of it, but I don't think that's all there is. I definitely think the Father is speaking. I definitely think the Holy Spirit is speaking to his people. But sometimes we're missing what he's saying because why? We're not listening. All right. I haven't even started my message yet. I'm so sorry. So, so. All of that to say, I'm talking to you about the church today, all right? And when I was thinking about 
how to approach this, this message today, I was thinking, gosh, I could go through all the scriptures and proof text my way through to these people to convince them that the church is a really good thing and that it's important. But I, what I, what I realized is, is that I didn't want to come at you that way. What I wanted to tell you about is why I love the church. Like why I, Andy Squires, loves the church. Not just this church, but the church at large. And I wanted you to know this, that when I was thinking through this, I began realizing that I love the church so much because the church has loved me. The church has loved me so well. I love that Shelly brought this up, like God's gotten a bad rap. Well, the church has gotten a bad rap too. All of the horror stories are out there about how terrible the church is. But I'll tell you, my testimony is different than that. From the moment I got saved, God set me in a church and so many good things happened in my life because of that. So I want to tell you about why I love the church, but I also want to tell you this. Christ himself is passionate about the church. He loves the church because he loves people. But there's a particular affection, which I believe God adorns his church with. There is a grace and comfort that flows into our lives through the church. So I, I mentioned, I mentioned earlier all the, all the junk that's happening in the church and in the news. And, and I don't want to go through all that again, but it, it just needs to be said when stuff comes up, we need to repent. And sometimes We need to repent, not just for our own individual sins, but for the sins of our community. We are responsible for one another, y'all. It's okay for you to repent on behalf of another, to stand in the gap for somebody else and repent. You know, privately, publicly, I don't know how that works, but sometimes we just need to soften our hearts and repent. Amen? But, But all of that considered... All of the stuff that's going on in the church that's not good, I personally still cannot shake the church. I've tried to walk away. I've tried to get rid of the church out of my life because I thought I would be better off. I cannot shake it. And, and you know this. We've talked about this before, but there's a massive shift within culture to abandon the church. And there's a lot of legitimate justifications for that. But I want to envision you today with a love for the body of Christ. But I want to start by, the, by going here. I want to say this. Scripture, the Bible, the word of God, whatever, however you want to say it, affirms and highly esteems the church of Jesus Christ. The body of Christ at large and small congregations like this one. That's the number one thing I want you to hear. The number two thing is this. God's main plan, his main strategy for his story to be told is the church. God doesn't have a plan B. There's not some super elect, select version of Christians who have their act together somewhere else who are going to tell the story. It's the church who are the stewards of the gospel of the good news of the kingdom. He chose you and I to be caretakers of his story. Now, when you really think about that, 
When you think about how much of his story has been obscured by some really, really bad theology, the only thing I can really come up with is God must really trust himself. God must really trust what he's doing to hand over the sacred story of his gospel to the likes of you and I. But embedded in that kind of funky reality must be this thing where he knows and trusts the seed that he put inside of you and I enough so that we could actually carry this thing. Y'all, he has called us. This is our vocation. You and I together. He has called us to carry his story, the promotion of the kingdom of God into the world. Amen. So I want us to read some scripture together. If you have your Bible, uh, you should grab it. If you have your iPhone, you should grab it. I have, I have entered into the beginning stages of old manhood. I went and bought an, a, a large print Bible so I can read my Bible now. So, um, I don't know, man. There's something about reading actual words on a page that I just kind of like. Like sometimes when I'm on my, my iPhone trying to read my Bible, I, I, I sneak over to Twitter and I sneak over to Instagram. All of those things I love. I'm just going to be honest with you. I will never stop using those platforms, but I do not want to be enslaved by them. And I find that there are some ancient practices started by the early church that if we put into practice in this modern world, I'm convinced that we will successfully be able to resist what is trying to overtake the world right now. There are totalitarian themes, ideas, whatever, that are trying to consume human beings. And in my view, it is the gospel of Jesus Christ that is going to set people from that thing. And I like reading it on paper. So no judgment on you if you got your iPhone, though. This is found in Acts chapter 2. I'm going to start at verse 42. Oh, we got it up there. Now, there's been an outpouring of the Holy Spirit like the world had never seen before. And then uh, old stubborn Peter gets up and preaches the message of his life. Like we're talking about an uneducated fisherman, but he spent enough time with Jesus to know a few things. Like Jesus went to the temple over and over and over and Peter went with him. Jesus went to church. Peter went to church with Jesus and he heard Jesus talk about the scriptures a lot. So I'm convinced that Jesus didn't, or Peter didn't stand up in this moment and give this sermon, um, just a hundred percent by the power of the Holy Spirit. I think he heard the word of God explained by Jesus a whole lot. And that went inside of them. And then on the day of Pentecost, it came out. So he preached a really good message. And then a lot of people got filled or saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. All right. We're finding, we're reading right on the heels of that happening. Verse 42, all the believers, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and to fellowship and to sharing meals, including the Lord's supper and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over all them and the apostles performed many miracles, signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and they shared everything they had. And they sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. 
They worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper and they shared their meals with great joy and generosity. All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship uh, those who were being saved. Now, guys, not every age of the church has been this good. This was the beginning of a of, of the church age. This was a really sweet season of the history of the church. Everything that was good that could happen, it was happening here. All right. So I don't want to hold this text up to you as an ideal, like every single uh, version of life in the history of the church should look exactly like this. Okay. Life has highs and lows tides ebb and flow. There's a history going on. The spirit is working. There's all kinds of world events happening all of the time. There's tensions um, of one kind or another. The church goes through lots of different seasons. Some of it includes great revivals. Some of it includes great suffering. Some of it feels like an oasis. Some of it feels like a desert. But all the time, what we see in this passage should be happening in the life of the church. So this passage of scripture to me is the clearest description of an early rendition of the church. And what we see happening here are actions. We see that their actions were working out or the outworking of what they believed. So sometimes we kind of bypass the things that we see people doing in the scripture and, and we don't really connect those to our lives. But these people were meeting together. They were eating together. They were worshiping together. They were praying together because there was something that they saw and, and changed their beliefs and their beliefs were leading their actions. Are you with me? So the church then was being who God called them to be and their actions mattered as much as what they believed. The things that the early church were doing was as important as what they were believing. I mean, the person who wrote Acts, he, he, it was Luke who wrote Acts. He didn't list off a bunch of things that these people believed. He listed off a bunch of things that these people were doing. He didn't say, wow, in Jerusalem that day, a bunch of people believed this, 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 and this. He said, no, these people believed on Jesus and they met together. They prayed together. They shared meals together. They fellowshiped together. They gave themselves to the teachings of the apostles. And, um, you know, they gathered all their money together and gave it away to everybody in need. That's the interesting thing, isn't it? We should pay attention to that because we can look at what's happening in our own lives in the same way. Are my actions proving what I believe? Are the things that I'm living out in my life proving what I actually have in my heart? I was reading this passage going, "Uh uh-oh, uh-oh. Like I'm talking to myself this morning, y'all. So these people in Acts chapter 2, they were not theoretical believers. They were practitioners of their beliefs. They did the world the great service of turning the abstract into the concrete. Let me tell you this about the kingdom of God. 
Okay? A lot of people want to talk about the kingdom of God in theory, but it's never a blessing in, until it moves from the abstract to the concrete. The kingdom of God actually restores the earth, reconciles the world when it stops being a theory and becomes concrete, a concrete reality. We go from the abstract to the concrete. You as a carrier of the kingdom of God, you maturing in Christ is not you giving mental assent to a bunch of abstract theories. It's you looking into the face of Jesus and having your life change. And when your life changes, your city's life changes. When your life changes, your family's life changes. When God gets a hold of you because you've put yourself in his way, the rest of the world around you gets in the way of God too. So these folks did us a great service by not remaining in the abstract, but in the concrete. Their faith did not exist in the privacy of their own minds and homes. Their faith was worked out publicly together among the people. Have you ever just thought, I'll have a nice little Christian private life. I just believe in Jesus in my little old head. And I'll watch Netflix for the rest of my life and be really happy. Just stay out of the way. Stay worry free. But we see from the early church that the best rendition of active faith was lived among other people. There's almost no account in the book of Acts where somebody has this deep-rooted private life where everything is just worked out in private. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't have a private prayer life or a private devotional life. Jesus did all that all the time. He, he, there would be a crowd of 5,000 people, and he would walk up to them, and instead of starting a television ministry, he would say, y'all go away now. I got so many good things to say that I don't want any of y'all to hear it. I mean, the things that I know can change your life. Y'all need to disperse. That's crazy, right? That was Jesus's ministry model because he had to go over to the mountain and be by himself for a while and pray. Okay. We got to remember those things. So back to shelter. I'm coming around y'all. I'm coming around. I I actually have a point to all this. You can't be a shelter to others if everything you believe, you only practice in private. If you're working out your faith and it's all happening somewhere privately, you will not be able to be what you should be for other people in your world. You will not be able to shelter other people from the heat of the day, from the storm that comes, from the flood that comes. All of those different kind of pictures that we use to describe troublesome times, the loads that people carry, the burdens that people carry, you will not be able to help people carry those loads if everything that you're doing with Jesus is in private. So in this early rendition of the church, we see that these people were devoted. They were devoted. They devoted themselves to the apostles teaching, to fellowship, to sharing meals together and to prayer. And each of these four things that we see in this text produces shelter. These four things are shelter in the form of wisdom, of encouragement, of friendship with each other, and friendship with God. Those four things. So so listening to the Bible teaching, 
fellowship, sharing meals together and in prayer, those things distilled down are, are wisdom, encouragement, friendship with each other and friendship with God. Okay, guys, I'll, let me put it to you this way. If you need friendship, where do you go? You go to the church. If you need wisdom, where do you go? You go to the church. If you need grace, where do you go? You go to the church. Who's the church? The person sitting next to you. The person sitting to the right or left of you. The person in your life who you're, who you're walking with. The people in your life who you're running with. If you've had a terrible day, if you've had a discouraging day, if you find that you lack wisdom and grace, you can't go sit on a rock somewhere and just get everything that you need. You need somebody to come and offer you shelter. That's what we're supposed to be for one another. Amen. So the shelter which the early church built literally changed the history of the world. So this shelter idea, this is not some trite little topical sermon series. This is actually a, a, a stake in the ground that changed the history of everything. Christ came to build a shelter on the earth. He came to build a kingdom that would offer anybody who needed help the help they needed. So the shelter which the early church built changed the history of the world because they became heaven on earth among all the hostility of the politics and world powers of that day. And the church offered up an alternative society not built upon power or greed or lust, but on love for Christ, love for one another, and even love for our enemies. What the shelter that Jesus was building is different than the shelter that the powers of the world were promising. It was an alternative society. It was the first time the world had ever seen Anything like this, that a community of people could gather together without using violence, power, and even to the opposite way of everybody's thinking in loving our enemies. Jesus's plan for saving the world was you guys, you're the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. Here's your plan of action. Go out and love everybody who has determined that you are their enemy. If you really want to to win the culture war in America today, all the people who hold the exact opposite political view of you, those are the people that you should be actively attempting to love. That is your mission field. That is the area where you need to grow in Christ in. So what was true then in the early church is still true now. And I'm realizing now that I don't love the church because the, the Bible demands some kind of mental assent from me. I love the church because the church has been a shelter for me, for my family, and has given us the priceless treasure of a home, a place to belong, a place to grow in Christ, a place to be vulnerable, a place to be forgiven, a place to receive mercy and grace. You know, I know so many, I mean, so many people in the world who are, their conscience has been seared because the amount of guilt that they carry, they're walking around with tremendous amounts of shame and guilt. And somehow the church started telling the story 
that you had to be really good before you could come to church, or you had to have your life together before you could come to Christ. But that's the exact opposite of what Christ said. Christ said, come and you'll be forgiven. Come over here and receive mercy. Come over here and receive grace. So when I was a kid, I was five years old. I think I was five or I was think I might've been five or six, but my dad was a single dad. Me and my little brother, Dan, we were little rugrats running around the neighborhood. We lived in government subsidized housing. So all the kids in the neighborhood were like latchkey kids, right? It was single parent homes from one side of the complex to the other. And some of us had babysitters. Others of us didn't. Um, it's like nobody was dealing drugs, but everybody liked candy, right? So, so candy was the drug that everybody was, was dealing in, right? And so there was this lady who she went out into our neighborhood. You can't do this. You can't really do this now. Okay. This was like in the seventies. This would have been like 1978, 1979, but she would go get all the little street urchins and she would say, if you come to my house, and listen to Bible stories, I'll give you candy. Well, we didn't know what Bible stories were. We didn't know who this lady was. All we heard was candy, right? So we got into this living room and she has a little green felt board here. And she starts taking weird pictures of men with beards and robes and putting them on this green thing. And she starts telling us things about God. And like, we're supposed to do the math and like, all of us horrible five-year-old sinners, uh, you know, are supposed to like repent and, and give our lives to Christ. Well, I don't know how this works, man. It's like the kingdom of God is mysterious. Maybe that wasn't a perfect presentation of the gospel. Maybe we didn't all understand perfectly what this lady was saying. Maybe it really was Hershey bars that got us into the kingdom of God, but it worked. It worked. I met Jesus that day. I was five or six years old and I came to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. My life was forever changed. I came into the church through the church because this lady wasn't practicing a private faith. She was practicing a public faith. You know, evangelicals get such a bad rap these days. And the truth is they've done so much terribly. But I would rather have evangelicals doing things terribly than nobody talking about Jesus at all. We've got to lose some of the shame of our our recent past, y'all. I'm not ashamed of green felt boards. I am so thankful that that I listen. I still know the song that lady taught us when I was six years old. Read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. And you'll grow, grow, grow. And you'll grow, grow, grow. Don't read your Bible, don't pray every day, and you'll shrink, shrink, shrink. And you'll shrink, shrink, shrink embedded in my brain for all eternity. That's the foolishness of God, y'all. You don't have to be slick. You don't have to be perfect. 
You don't have to get your life in order. You don't have to shame somebody into the love of God. You can just tell people how amazing Christ is in your life. How amazing Christ is. He's worth knowing. So the church gave me that great gift. The church was the first place I learned that there was a God and that he was not me. What a relief. That is the great relief that this age needs. Because if God isn't your God, you will go find another one. And gods are fickle. And gods make deals with people. But as soon as those deals are made, they start come expecting things that people cannot afford to pay. The church was where I began to learn the way of Jesus. I learned the beatitudes in the church. I learned virtue in the church. You know, I learned that stealing was wrong from the church. Before I, before I learned that, I would go over to the drugstore and I would steal, guess what, candy. <laughs> I learned in the church about walking by faith. I learned from the church about seeing what eyes could not see. I learned from the church about trusting God with my life so that I no longer had to be in charge of my own life. I learned from the church how to pray. I learned from the church how to behold God in worship. Oh my gosh, I was watching the worship team this morning and I was looking at Ethan and, and Savannah and I'm thinking to myself, I mean, these are my kids, like, Ethan's not my natural born child, but like, I just think of him as my kid, you know, it's like these kids are up here, these priests in the house of God, like this has happened because that lady did that little green felt board doing those dumb little Bible studies, teaching me dumb little songs. And all these people in this room are beholding God in his glory and we're worshiping the Lord together. Y'all, that's why I love church. That's why I love to go to church. That's why I have a vision for church because it's that stuff that has changed me more than anything else in my life. Am I making sense to y'all this morning? Church is where I experience the Holy Spirit together with other people. You know, you can experience the Holy Spirit on your own and you should, but in church you do it with other people and it's the best. The church is where I worshiped and adored Christ together with other people. Man, my favorite thing in life probably is being in a stadium singing Amazing Grace with 80,000 other people. That's glorious. That's the best. Beholding the beauty of God together is the best. The church is where I, I first experienced people praying for me. I went to church and people laid their hands on me and they prophesied over me. I have so many words from God because people took a risk and laid their hands on me and they prayed over my life and that directly affected the course of my life for the better. Now, I'm not going to lie to you. Some prophecies will drive you insane. Amy and I have been carrying some words from the Lord that we have carried for decades now. And we stand mystified before those things, but they are worth it. We know that God is working things out for us. We know that we are co-laboring with God. 
So to have people lay hands on you, pray for you, pray over you is actually essential to your walk with Christ. You need prayer, y'all. You need other people to pray over you. The church is where people took care of me when I could not take care of myself. Have you ever been there before? Have you ever been in a moment where you could not lift yourself and somebody else lifted you? When I was sick, people brought me food. Have you ever had a meal brought to you? Something as simple as a meal. It's literally the best thing. When Amy and I were 29 years old, I had driven us into bankruptcy, just going after some dreams in my life, and they didn't work out. And I was so broke, I didn't know what to do with my life. I didn't know how I was going to feed my kids. And there's a knock on our door. And this man at our church He says, Andy, I'm taking you to Walmart and I'm going to get you some food. In my mind, I'm thinking I'm going to get a couple plastic bags of some frozen peas and some fish sticks, right? So we walk in the front door. I was so humbled. I was embarrassed. I was ashamed. You know, as a man, you want to be a provider. And here I'm, I'm on the church welfare state, right? Like the Lord was teaching me so much in that moment. But this man, we go into the entry level. He gets one shopping cart. And I'm like, what's he needing that for? But he doesn't just grab one shopping cart. He grabs two shopping carts. And you know what he did? He bought me the best food in that place. He bought me lobster. He bought me ribs. He bought me the best ground beef, not the cheapest ground beef. He he heaped both of those shopping carts up with so much food that my family and I could eat for a month. And not just eat like top ramen and hot dogs, but like eat well. So my kids could see the glory of God on their dinner table every night. Guess where that glory came through? It came through the church. It came through some man who was listening to the Holy Spirit, whose faith was not private, but it was public. And he changed the course of our lives. We were so discouraged. I was so defeated. I was laying on my bed and he was just putting courage into my heart. Not not through a like blessings on you, brother, but like some real concrete action. Another time, um, this is another, my life's going to sound really terrible to you guys. I keep telling you these terrible stories, but like, I, I'm just, these are the highlights. This isn't every week of my life, you know? Uh, but, but 2012, Amy and I had moved to Texas and we had to turn around within six months to come back because a really dear friend of ours had gotten cancer and we wanted to come back and be with this person, um, through, through the final days of his life. But man, it was such a bad financial decision on my part to do that. And I'm telling you, I had like 40 bucks left on my credit card. And I, I was in Asheville or maybe Knoxville putting in the last 40 bucks of fuel into our U-Haul van so that we could coast down the mountain to finally land back in Charlotte. And we we're staying with a friend of ours. And this friend happened to be a widow. She had lost her, she had lost her husband three years previous to this moment. And then we're walking through this other moment with our, 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 our husband and wife friend and, and the husband is about to pass away. So we have this other widow in our life and just the most incredible thing happened. One of the widows gave us a car and the other widow gave us a place to stay. I mean, that's the widow's mites y'all. Imagine receiving benevolence from Two people who are, who have gone through it, but that's the church. 
that's the church bearing one another's burdens, even when they barely had enough to give. It's people bringing us into their bosoms to make sure that we weren't dying on the side of the road somewhere. That's who you are. That's who we are together. This is the vision that Jesus has for us walking together. I know I'm going long. Are you with me? Are you okay? I just got a little while longer, okay? The church is the place that rejoices with us and mourns with us. Births, funerals, weddings, baptisms, and all of the stuff in between. That's the stuff of life. And that's the stuff that we go through together. That's the stuff we experience together. I want to say this. The church is filled with supernatural people. Y'all are supernatural people. You're natural people too, but you're also supernatural people. We ask God for miracles and then we believe that he works through miracles. Everybody knows I'm not a real big miracle guy, but I'm trying to be. I'm heading that direction. I've got some philosophical issues to work out there. And I think theology is a gift to us. And we should always be, we should always have the philosophical underpinnings of the workings of the world. But nevertheless, I'm feeling like the people of God are a supernatural people. We are a spiritual people who believe God works spiritually in our everyday lives. This is who the church is. This is who you and I are. We are comforted by the spirit through each other in the tensions of natural life. The church is where I learned to give. I received the generosity of others. And in turn, I learned to be generous. I learned that ministry to the poor was of the highest value. The church is where I was given answers to my questions of existence and death. The church is where I found out my origin. We come from God. We are fearfully and wonderfully made in our mother's womb. And I also not, I not only found out my origin, but I found out my destiny. I found out where I'm headed, y'all. Our eternal hope is resurrection. Amen. The church is where I learned to love my neighbors, my enemies, and to tell people about his love. So here's the thing, y'all. I'm going to close with this. And I, I mentioned this earlier, but everyone is hurting right now. We are in unprecedented, unprecedented times. And there's never been a better moment for the church to show up than right now. This is the time. This is not, not the time to back off from church. This is the time to show up and be among each other and be ready to be shelter for one another. I feel like there's this temptation going on right now in culture where we are supposed to back off. Guys, we're going the opposite direction of that. We are. We're about to do some amazing things with the Lord. And, and considering this, this season that we're in and we're not necessarily out of the woods yet, I wanted to give you some really, really practical things for you to do in this season, okay? The first thing I want to tell you about, and I know I've mentioned this before, but Amy and I, in, in praying together, we feel like the Lord is leading us into a season of healing hospitality. If you're taking notes, healing hospitality is really important. You and I, we actually need to focus on reaching out to each other sharing meals with each other and carrying each other. Amen. 
If you had a passing thought about getting somebody to go out to lunch and you let that thought pass, go back there and get it. Just go get it and go get those people. If they don't have any money, just take them out to lunch. All right. Healing hospitality. That's that's a really important uh, component for the season that we're in. The next one is be in prayer. Seriously, this is an important moment for us as a church. I mean, when I say church, I'm talking about this church. I'm not talking about the church. I'm saying this church right now, y'all, we're regaining strength and we have to press into prayer like never before. I believe that our future is actually our near future is depending on the prayers that we're praying right now. So maybe you pray by yourself, but maybe you pray with your spouse. Maybe you pray with your kids or your friends. But but whatever you do, make sure you're praying. Prayer is a practice we cannot neglect. Being with God in prayer is very important for our recovery. Guys, we're in recovery mode. God's healing is available to us, and I believe it's going to happen through prayer. So I know I've already said this, but this is on my list, so I'm just going down. I want to encourage you to be tender towards people in this season. We cannot be, we cannot go wrong by being generous with grace and tenderness towards everybody that we encounter. Okay. And I'm going to give you one more really practical way to better connect people. Okay. You know that thing that we all do? You go to church. Hi. How are you? Fine. How are you? Great. And then you just pass each other like strangers in the night. Like, like, nothing actually really happened there, right? It's like, I don't know what to say to this person. Hi, how are you? It's like the tyranny of those familiar words no longer connect people, they disconnect people. We can actually use those phrases to distance people from us. I know that sounds weird and counterintuitive, but we all do it, right? So I want to give you this assignment. Rather than asking somebody, how are you? Ask them, what are you going through? I mean, you may not have time for that answer, But that might be the cross that Jesus wants you to bear. You might be a little bit inconvenienced, but I promise you there's folks in here who are desperate for somebody to hear their story. Our lives are complicated. They are messy and they need more than, hi, how are you? Fine. How are you? We actually have to cross that chasm with each other in here first, y'all. I bet there's people in this room that you've been going to church with for years that you don't even know their name and you've just been afraid to ask. Or maybe somebody comes across as a little weird. It's the weird people that need you to listen to them. I'm weird. I get it. I get it. Ask me a question. I'll give you an answer. But ask people, what are you going through? And then when you ask people that question, become a good listener. Now, here's the thing about me. I'm really good at talking. I'm a terrible listener. And I have a meme to give you an example of this. 
Me waiting for the person who's telling a story to shut up so I can tell a better story that includes me. I am trying to leave this world behind, y'all. But I don't think this is just true for me. I think this is true for all of us, right? So if you are going to take anything away this morning, here's what I want you to go into this week with. I want you to become a really good listener. I mean, you go, Andy's talking all of this lofty, dumb stuff about the church. I don't know half the words that are coming out of his mouth. He doesn't make sense at all. Take this one thing away. Ask people what they're going through and then become a really good listener. Because my guess is that there will be some reciprocation in there somewhere. You will have your opportunity to share your story with that person eventually. But let folks tell their stories. And after they tell their stories, pray for one another. It's really important, y'all. Man, I know I'm beating a dead horse here, but I was up in D.C. two nights ago. I played a show up there. And uh, after the show, Henry and I are selling T-shirts and uh, we're making a killing. It's just a great night. We, we sold out the show, made a killing at the merch table. And I'm thinking, man, life is so good. People listen to me sing. People listen to me talk. And then I get paid for it. Life couldn't be better. But you know, the biggest mistake of that situation would be that that's all that is. Like if, if I made a little bit of money and shined a little bit, who really cares? But somewhere at the end of that evening, this lady comes up and I'm standing there near Henry and there's another gentleman with me. And she goes, I came tonight all by myself. I don't know anybody here. My husband just left me. I don't know what to do. The world is falling apart. My world is falling apart. And I was just thinking of the words that Ken Helzer said to me the week before. You don't have to have the answers for everybody's problem. You just lead people to Jesus. Lead people to Jesus over and over and over. And we just, we laid hands on that lady and we just began to pray for her. And the prayers were not that good. They were just little prayers. We were just offering the loaves and fishes that we had praying over this lady I don't know if her life was changed, but she began to weep. She began to feel seen. She began to feel heard. And all we did was stand there and listen to her and then prayed for her. Y'all can do that. Y'all can do that. Amen. All right. Stand to your feet. We're going to close this baby out. Y'all seriously do not miss next week. Randall is the king of preaching. I, I, all I do is take notes when Randall preaches because I'm just learning how to come at angles the way that he does. He's so good. Um, but before I let you go, I want you to know we got prayer team. Prayer team. We got prayer team. We got prayer team up here on the right. Uh, don't be shy. Come up here. We will pray for you. We will lay hands. We will prophesy. We will even speak in tongues if you get up, give us permission. So, um, no, uh, Kim said, no, no Thomas. Um, uh, Hey, raise your hands. If you don't have plans after church today, raise your, no plans after church. This is not a trick question. Y'all 
Every, okay, no plans. Just look around the room. All of these people don't have plans. Find somebody, take them out to lunch or, or everybody's shy this morning. I can tell. I can tell my, my sermon really landed. <laughs> all right, fine then. I'll leave it all up to y'all. You figure that out. Um, okay. I, uh, uh, Amy, can you come up here and close this out in prayer for me? Yes. Y'all don't know this, but Amy Squires is a dark horse. She's, she, she's coming out from the back stretch, man. She's gonna, she's, she's gonna pass me up pretty soon here. So in, in beauty and wisdom, you've always, you've always beaten me at that, baby. Lord, uh, we just thank you for today. We thank you that we have been able to come together and to see your face and to hear your voice. And Lord, I just pray over each person here that this week, we really would see your face in a more real way. And we would just, um, we would feel your love. And Lord, I just bless all the people here in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right, y'all are free to go. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. 